It's time for the tactics meeting. I'm your host, Dan Smiley. And on this show, we talk to subject matter experts about response tactics and technology. Today, I'm excited to have Eva Pomeransky from Gallagher Marine Systems, and we'll be talking about finance for operations section personnel. It's going to be great, so stick around. Eva, welcome to the program. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Well, it's exciting. So today we are talking about finance for operations. You know, when I teach ICS, I'll go through the details of command and operations and planning. And then when I get to finance, I'm like, oh, yeah, and then there's finance. I, don't, I hardly say a word uh, about it. It's like as long as my as long as I get paid and no one's screaming about the equipment not being paid for, uh, I don't really care. But finance is important. And so we want to make sure that when we show up in the field that our operations section uh, folks, our command folks are doing the documentation that is required in order for the Osros, the respond people to get paid, right? And, yeah. and there are some pitfalls, some lessons to be learned, some, um, some checklist items that we can go through to help smooth this process out. Your experience is as the finance section chief. Tell, tell us a little about yourself. I started with Gallagher 12 years ago, actually right after graduating college. I went to school for business and a concentration in accounting. So yes, I am a bean counter by, by schooling. Um, but my first job, major job after school was with Gallagher. And three months in, I actually got to go on a quite large oil spill in Port Arthur. That was the Eagle Otomi oil spill. And that happened right before BP. Um, so not knowing anything about the oil spill response world, I got thrown into it fairly quickly and um, got exposed to everything right away. Uh, and I think that was, that was a great way to learn and to be introduced to this whole world. Yeah, but was that shocking when you first walked into the command post down there in Port Arthur? Oh, yeah, you walk in and you have no clue what's going on, especially uh, being 23 years old, right out of college, not knowing what Open 90 even is. Um, it was it was a shocker. Absolutely. We're going to talk about the job tickets, dailies, how that transfers over to uh, ultimately generating an, an invoice. Let's start off by you just telling us what is a daily? What What is the, the job ticket? Um, in simple terms, it's a list of people, equipment, and materials that are on the job, quantities, kinds, types, uh, the hours they're there for. So it's like a diary. It's a daily diary of what resources were deployed that day. And who's responsible for filling out the daily? That would be the contractor. So whether it's uh, one of the major Osros or a smaller cleanup contractor, um, each job should have a supervisor that's uh, responsible with providing the SMT with that daily. Okay, and we we really are looking at this from the 
perspective of the spill management team? I mean, we that if if those of you who are listening are are with the one of the Osros or you're with the Coast Guard or with the the state, this is valuable information for for you as well. But we're as we look at the job ticket, we're we're thinking this is the spill management team. They they need to to receive and sign these every day and get them into the finance section so that they can be uh, accounted for with the rest of that day's ex- expenses. So you talked about uh, type and kind. What are we looking for there? Uh, as you know, there are so many different boats that can be called out onto a response. We have small John boats, FRVs, larger skimming vessels. And most of the time, these categories are broken out by size. So each size is probably a different rate or a different cost. Um, some contractors have hourly rates, some have day rates. Um, so it's really important that we know exactly what asset is on site so we can make sure that the right rate is being applied to it on the invoice. So when you first arrive in the command post in the finance section, are you reaching out to the contractors to get their rate sheets? Is that an early step in this process? That is an early step. Hopefully, um, I already have some of that on file from prior uh, spills and jobs or drills. So I have reference sheets available to see what is most likely out there already. Um, So there are lots of materials that we have um, on file already that we can use for those references. Well, some some organizations are are really clear. I work with Marine Spill Response Corporation a lot, and their rate sheets are are crystal clear. And mm-hmm. their job ticket process is uh, almost automated. They they do it so well. But some some organizations, it's it's really hard to to get a hold of. And one situation I I ran into recently was with the state. They refused to provide, I won't say which state it was, they refused to provide rates, but insisted, and this was actually for a drill, but insisted that the state's uh, information be included on the, on the burn rate, but yet would not tell us what their rates were. How, how do you deal with the job tickets from government entities? It's quite a conundrum, isn't it? Uh... We're lucky enough to have a close relationship with most Coast Guard uh, units when we respond. Um, So their information is actually easier to obtain than the state information. But like you said, each state is unique and they have their own procedures and processes um, for the way they bill uh, responsible parties for their time on incidents. Um, So it's a matter of building a relationship, I would say. The sooner you can introduce yourself to that person who's there representing the state, get the right points of contact, uh, develop a dialogue with them, the easier it'll be for you to get some kind of information. And more often than not, you'll be dealing with someone in their back office, in their accounting office, who's not really um, connected to the spill. 
So you just have to work your way through finding any available information you can get. So if you can have an idea of how many people they have in the field and then use an approximate hourly rate, you can come up with a rough burn rate for your, for your need, whether it's a drill or an actual spill. Uh, but you're right, it is very difficult to estimate state costs. And more often than not, it is just a waiting game until they send the invoice in, which can also be a very, very long time from the incident taking place. So what is the time frame on submitting these, these dailies? I'm a division supervisor or a group supervisor. Can I just... I'm there for two weeks. Can I just collect them all up and give you a stack of them when I leave? Sure thing, that'd be great. No, just kidding. So they're called the daily for a reason. Um, it is very critical to know what's there every single day because people forget. And that's really number one reason. No one's gonna remember three weeks from now what size boat was there, what type of a boat was there, how many people exactly were there. Um, so having a daily that's signed both by the contractor and by the SMT representative, whether it's an operations person or a resource person, um, gives the accounting team a way to uh, verify that information. So we see that the SMT member looked over all the resources that are listed, verified that those types, sizes, amounts are correct. And we can feel confident that we can use that information for backup when we receive the actual bill. Um, because the bill doesn't always look like the daily. So there's a big uh, comparison when you get the final invoice you review it against the dailies and any gaps that are identified can be hashed out with the help of the SMT person, SMT member. So I'm the division supervisor and I submit, submit my dailies. Should I keep a copy? Do I need to have something to come back later? Are you gonna come back to me three months from now and ask me about Tuesday, September 23rd? It is likely that I might ask you that. Yeah, it might be a month from now. It might be a year from now. So most of the time we try to keep everything electronically um, and in our email folders. This way you can run, reference it easily three months from now or whenever you need it. Um, sometimes clients uh, end up being litigated and those things take time as well. And it might be a couple years from when you were on that job that you have to recall those items. So definitely keeping um, a good email account, a, a good email portfolio is definitely important. So the, when we look at document retention for these, these events, all this documentation ultimately belongs to the responsible party. Can I keep a copy? I mean, can I even, can I even do that? Is that okay? Well, I guess financial information should not be included with the response documentation, right? So you shouldn't keep it in the same place as your, uh, as your plans, right? As your IAPs and other documentation. But as far as a daily goes, yes, you should, you can absolutely keep a copy of that 
but not distribute it to outside parties. Okay, so, so I'm looking at this daily. I get it from the from the contractor, and it has a line item that says, you know, four utility boats, uh, twenty three to forty five feet. Is that okay? Well, did you verify that those four utility well, boats, twenty three to forty five feet, were there? Well, I mean, how how many of them were 23 feet and how many of them were 45 feet? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, these are all individual resources, right? I guess my point is that's probably not okay. That's right. Right Right about that. That is not okay. Yeah. Um, And big part of it gets hashed out in decon, right? When a piece of equipment goes through decon, that is the time where the supervisor can, can identify an error um on the boat size or type um unfortunately we can catch those mistakes later but it is much easier when you realize that day that hey there were only three 42 foot boats and the other one was only a 23 footer so definitely the sooner you identify those discrepancies the better um and that's why the daily is so critical to help you with that what about unique identification numbers for resources? Some some tools, databases out there, like the WRRL, assign a unique identifier that makes it simple to track a piece of equipment, but others don't. I've worked with uh, organizations who don't have unique identifiers for their pieces of equipment at all. They just say, you know, we have uh, you know, a hundred DOP 250 pumps. It's like, well, which DOP 250 pump is this one? Which one did I send to, uh, you know, park inlet for recovery versus the other 30 that were still sitting in staging and they just don't have them. So do you end up assigning unique ID numbers to things on the fly in the field or how do you go about reconciling that kind of thing? Absolutely, this happens all the time. Um, We often create our own unique identifiers um, just to help us with what you just mentioned. So yeah, if there is no pre-existing identifier, we simply create our own system, whether it's a numbering system for boats or lettering system or identifiers um, by location um, or linked to what supervisor is overseeing that piece of equipment. So there are definitely many ways we can uh, create identifiers on our own. And that's where um, it is very, very helpful to have a, a good resources team in planning to help with that. So if I've got a resources team maintaining a resource list and they've documented the resources that are on scene, why do I need a daily? Well, did the people from resources go out in the field and make sure that those specific pieces of equipment were in operation each and single day? Well, I don't know. I'm busy cleaning up oil. Why should I? I don't have time for that. Right. Well, I guess if you're the person out there and you are using those boats, then we, the finance folks, would rely on you 
to be able to verify that those boats are in fact there. They are in fact 43 footers, um, you know, and whatever other uh, details may apply to that. So you are it, Dan, you are it. <laughs> I, I have to do this accounting? Operations has a role in finance? Absolutely, a very important one. Every spill management team is, is different, but when you're running the finance section, when do you expect to see these dailies coming in from the field? So I've got stuff that happened yesterday. Uh, at some point uh, this morning, this afternoon, this evening, I get yesterday's dailies from the contractor. Can I send them to you at nine o'clock in the evening? You know, when do you, it's, when do you? Yes, want? yes, I will take them any time of the day I can get them. Um, we try to be realistic and we understand that the first 48, 72 hours of a response are very hectic and we may not be getting dailies right away. Um, but that's why it is important to work out a system that's uh, convenient for everyone. So convenient for you, but also convenient for the OSRO supervisor so they can actually you know, take time and create the daily and go through it and audit it before they send it to us. So they're comfortable with what they're sending. Um, so I think it's a matter of having a good dialogue with your OSRO and coming up with a good schedule that works for everyone. Um, we're all about flexibility. So making life easier for everyone, creating processes that make life easier for everyone is what we really strive for. With that in mind, do you provide some kind of written guidance or checklist or what do you give to people in the field? I mean, some of the people that we've got maybe haven't responded to an oil spill in a year, two years, five years, and all of a sudden now they're in the field again. What do we have to help them? Well, Dan, I'm glad you asked because we do actually have a checklist that we provide to the OSROs and to our SMT supervisors for review. And I think this checklist is very helpful in coming up with a good schedule for receiving dailies, uh, reviewing them, and then returning them uh, to the right persons so they can go through the billing process. So what are some of the errors or flaws that you see when the job tickets come in? What, what are some lessons learned that we can pass on? I would say the most common thing I see, and this is going to sound silly, but the word boat. I mean, how many times just boat is what's written on the daily? And I guess I'm supposed to know what boat that was, um, but no other details are included. So I would say lack of details is the most common mistake we see. You know, when I was, uh, I guess I guess I don't even want to say what spill it was, but <laughs> but you know we we'd ordered we in the um, on water recovery group, which is where I was at the time, you know had uh, received resources that had been ordered through logistics, and when they arrived, we categorized them as either a work boat because they were towing boom or providing some kind of support or as a, an OSRV, an oil spill response vessel, meaning that it either had a skimmer and storage built in or we had put skimming 
and temporary storage on them. Either way, it was recovering oil. But then I would have uh, people come over asking me how many utility boats we had. Like, oh, I don't have any right. boats. Or, or crew boats, or fast crew boats, or ultra-fast crew boats, or, you know, what, whatever. Whatever the vendor who provided them called them, and rather than categorize them based on uh, a lexicon and type and kind within the resource unit, they just got written down as kind of whatever was on the whatever was on the uh, requisition when it came 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 back. How do you reconcile what things are when they arrive on scene? Yeah, that's definitely one of the hardest things we have to deal with. Um, most of the time, we will take the contractor rate sheet, which specifies the exact name of, of the equipment, whether it's a boat, a skimmer, or something else. Um, and we try to decipher it against what's written on the 213 or on the daily. Um, we'll probably have conversations with the person who made the actual request. And that is your best source to find out, hey, what did you actually ask for? And did they bring what you asked for? And is this correct? Um, so it's just kind of like a detective game. So does the auditing process start during the response or do you wait till it's all done and everything's in its folders and then start from scratch and try to go back and audit it? It starts from the second we get on scene. And that's actually one of the crucial components of, of having someone from finance on scene. Because like you mentioned, you are busy with actually controlling the oil spill, right? You're, you're just worrying about the environment and not really thinking that, hey, all this stuff will eventually need to get paid for, but that's not main, my main concern. Um, so that's why it's good to have a finance field observer on scene right away to do that uh, accounting and verifying of resources. So is that standard practice for Gallagher to have a field finance uh, auditors out there? Do you assign somebody from finance to a division or a, or a group? When we have a large enough um, of a job, um, yeah, we can split people up according to divisions or groups, but most of the time we can uh, manage it where um, just the individuals that are in the sections would split their time between the command post and going out into the field during a portion of the day. Sometimes the command post is right there in the field on the job site itself, um, which makes things quite convenient to be able to just step out the door and check what boats are there. And there is your, there's your check. There's your record. How do you tie in with the resource unit while doing these audits? That's always a complex uh, exercise. Um, we work with different contractors who manage resources for us on larger spills. On smaller spills, the resource unit gets folded into um, kind of like 
quasi planning, logistics, finance. Um, so we may not stand up an actual resource unit. We'll just have members from each of those sections work together on cross-checking and reconciling our records. What else do you want operations folks to know about finance? We're watching your back. Just kidding. Um, well, I need somebody to watch my back. <laughs> I frankly, I need adult supervision. So. Well, I think we want you guys to know that we are fully aware that you have a mission when you're out there in the field. And we don't want you to feel like uh, getting a daily signed is something that's the, one of the uh, worst things you have to worry about in the day, right? That's the last thing you want to worry about. Um, so we want what we want to do is create a process that's um, convenient for you as a supervisor coming from, a, let's say, a 12-hour day at the end of the day. The last thing you want to do is look at a spreadsheet or a piece of paper with stuff on it. Um, so probably getting together with the actual Oswer supervisor, the SMT supervisor and the finance person and having a conversation on what will work best. What time should we meet? What time should we discuss these things? Um, and create a process. Eva Pomeranski from Gallagher Marine Systems. Thank you for helping to decipher some of this finance section information for us. Maybe I'll add job tickets into my ICS classes going forward. I think you should. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Tactics Meeting. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really like to hear from you about what you'd like to see us talk about in the future. There's so many topics that we could talk about ham radio, satellite communications, all kinds of stuff that is super interesting. You can email me. The address is podcast at thetacticsmeeting.online.